Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the Box Office Mojo Top 100 in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? It's been quite some time since uh, the last installment of the Box Office Mojo Top 100, where I chronicle uh, films number 30 to 21. Uh, and the principal reason for that was I was waiting for a couple of movies to kind of move past uh, the top 20 or into the top 20 for that matter, for that reason. And it seems like those two films have pretty much stabilized at this point. Uh, but before we get into that stuff, we do have a couple of films to talk about that have since impacted the top 100. Uh, it seems like every year now there's another 10 new films that are in the top 100. And here are some of them that are not yet finished but are, are making waves further down the list. Um, so starting at the bottom, firstly, I believe when we last uh, went through this, uh, I'm not sure, I forget which film was number 100 now then, but right now number 100 is Interstellar with 675 million dollars and uh, the f lowest newest entry is Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales which currently has grossed 734.9 million dollars just $200,000 off of up so it'll definitely move up a couple more spots uh, before it's finished uh, but only 23% of its box office gross has been domestic uh, so Oh, almost 560, about $565 million overseas that it has made. Not very much over here. Whereas, on the other hand, uh, currently at number 80 with $746.8 million is Wonder Woman, which has made uh, about 50-50, $370 million here, $377 million overseas. Um, and that also definitely has a lot of room to grow. Uh, just $100,000 off of number 79, Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. And finally, at currently at number 54, uh, with $858.2 million earned, is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, it has about 45% domestic at 385, and 55% overseas with 472. A lot of people are wondering if Wonder Woman will be able to reach... Guardians of the Galaxy in terms of domestic gross, I would say it's definitely a possibility. There's only about $16 million difference uh, domestically between the two films, and I think there's a really good chance that Wonder Woman actually takes that number one spot. But we are here to talk about films numbers um, 20 through uh, 11. Um, we left off with number 21, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, and... We also have crossed into the $1 billion territory, starting with number 30, The Dark Knight. And we will continue on that road with number 20, Toy Story 3. Uh, Toy Story 3 has made $1,067,000,000 worldwide, 
415 million dollars domestically 652 million dollars overseas so about 40 to 60 percent split right there it is a 2010 film um, it is the only Toy Story film to be on this list uh, you know the uh, box office draw was not quite as big back when Pixar released Toy Story and Toy Story 2. Um, Toy, Toy, Toy Story 2 being the first sequel Pixar ever released and was met with great reviews just like the original film uh, but we weren't quite in the golden age of Pixar at that time. Since then however and growing up through the 2010 uh, we've seen films like like Toy Story 3 like Frozen, like Minions even, um, just looking down here, Finding Dory, Zootopia, Despicable Me 2, The Lion King, uh, Lion King is kind of an outlier, it came out a lot earlier, Finding Nemo, uh, Shrek 2, uh, you know, the Ice Age movies, um, you know, a lot of these movies, that these animated films have started to make money after over hand over fist, uh, starting in the mid to late aughts and that's pretty that's a fantastic trend in my opinion I'm, I'm very pleased to see that um, not only are studios starting to cater more towards the animated fair and animated crowd of, of adults but they're also become, beginning to tailor films that are for kids to also uh, be just as enjoyable for the parents that bring them um, and while that doesn't always translate into uh, critical and and critical success like like a minions or like an ice age um, it can like an up like like a finding nemo like a toy story 3 you know these are films that are nominated for academy awards um, in some cases best picture the highest honor available and you know for me Toy Story 3 was far and away my favorite to watch of the three films I think especially at the time however in years uh, since then I've certainly kind of fallen a little bit back on my opinion of Toy Story 3 I still think it's an incredibly incredible movie but I do sort of tip my hat to Toy Story 1 as being the best of the trilogy but Toy Story 3 is uh, just a, an incredible uh, cap on a, in a fantastic trilogy. Now, they are planning to put out a fourth film. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm incredibly nervous by this. And uh, I, I'm really concerned for the direction of the franchise. I, I'm hopeful that Pixar, ha they've not failed us in this franchise yet, and I think that they really know where to put their money and where to put their mouth with, the, with, the, with these characters, but it's going to be a tough, tough sell to find, like, I don't know what the next story is. We have completed the arc for Andy, um, and I don't think any of us really want to go through the exact same arc again with somebody new. So I'm going to be. I'm curious to know like what kind of a plot we're going to be looking at here. Um, so number twenty, Toy Story three. One point zero six seven billion dollars. Moving up to number nineteen, with one billion 
$84,900,000 is The Dark Knight Rises. Now we had The Dark Knight previously at number 30, uh, which is the lowest grossing film to have reached a billion dollars. And The Dark Knight Rises eclipsed it by about 80 million. Uh, with um, yeah, with a $450 million made domestically and $637 million made world made outside of the US, uh, it's got a pretty a pretty solid 40 to 60 split, um, which is actually a, a very uh, sizable amount of domestic value uh, as you're getting to the top of this list. Most films do not hit that 40% mark. Um, some, and a good number of them, don't hit 30% either. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises uh, capped off Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy after what many consider to be the greatest DC film still released in The Dark Knight with one of the most incredible comic book performances from Heath Ledger, uh, who was posthumously awarded the Oscar for Supporting Actor. And in some cases, the best best performance in any film, you know, one of them, uh, you know, the, the depth to which Ledger uh, embodied this character is, um, is, depending on who you ask, a fatal uh, embodiment. And I, I can't speak on, you know, the tragedy surrounding his death, only Heath knows exactly what took place and he's not here anymore which is a great shame i loved him as an actor and i, I truly miss him but the dark knight rises kind of had some of the biggest shoes to fill that any movie has ever had it had to move on from heath ledger's joker and it also had to <clears throat> uh, it had to somehow up the stakes even further. Um, we've seen The Dark Knight. You know, we everyone went and saw The Dark Knight. It did an incredible. It did you know made a billion dollars. We knew there was a market for another movie. We knew that there were going to be people who were going to see it. And with Christopher Nolan still attached to direct, and the same cast of characters and and cast of actors prepared to fulfill those shoes and and play in those roles yet again, it is. Uh, you know, the, the the sky was the limit, is, is generally what we thought, thought. And so casting news came out. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Tom Hardy, uh, Marion Cossillard. These are all these people who, you know, fantastic actors. You know, Tom Hardy and Cossillard, who worked with uh, Nolan on Inception, as well as Joseph Gordon-Levitt, all came over to the Dark Knight franchise. Um, you know, you've got, uh, as well as Anne Hathaway, who stepped in as Catwoman, um, who would later reprise uh, her relationship with Christopher Nolan in Interstellar. It, you know, you've got a cast that's one of the greatest casts on paper you've ever seen. And so when reviews started to trickle out for The Dark Knight Rises, they were generally positive, um, fairly positive. I think it's got something in the 80% tile, uh, in the 80% on Rotten Tomatoes at this moment. Um, actually, I can actually check that. I can look that up. I currently don't have internet, uh, which is why um, some of my figures are a little um, shaky right now. But yes, uh, according to my last look, The Dark Knight Rises has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, 
which is very, very good. I mean, like, that's great. But fan reactions and, and sort of uh, the aftertaste that this film has left in a lot of people's mouths has been less than satisfactory. Um, a lot of people cite it as by far the weakest film in the trilogy. I do think it is the weakest. I don't think that makes it bad by any stretch. Uh, people were not fans of Tom Hardy as Bane, uh, especially when he com when you compare him to Heath Ledger, which you shouldn't because they're very different characters, they're very different actors, and they're both aiming for different things. Uh, they think the plot and the writing is far worse. It's not as good, but it is... It's more than serviceable, uh, you know, and and the writing has always been what Christopher Nolan's films have struggled with. Uh, their their conception and the ideas behind them have always been um, enormous and and full of possibilities. It's just sometimes the writing was not able to keep up with the idea, the grandiose ideas that were being on display. So that's tough. It's really tough, and and you know no one wants to write the sequel to one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, popular opinion, and as mine as well. So, The Dark Knight Rises. My first viewing of it was in a. Uh, I'm sure I've said this on the show before. Was in a back-to-back-to-back uh, -to -back -to -back showing in IMAX of Batman Begins: The Dark Knight, and then at midnight on Friday. Uh, the, or on Thursday, The Dark Knight Rises. Um, I walked out of that theater thinking it was the best movie I'd ever seen. Uh, I then later, I then rewatched it like the next weekend, uh, and my my reaction was very tempered after that. I, I definitely took a couple of steps back and removed myself from the fanboy in me to kind of appreciate it and and the filmmaking qualities that it has. And so I ultimately have landed on a score of 92 for The Dark Knight Rises, uh, which is by no means a bad score whatsoever. It is a very, very good score. Um, but it is far from the incredible uh, emotion and, and uh, prestige that I think comes along with The Dark Knight. So I'm not at all surprised to see The Dark Knight Rises this high on this list. Um, you know, any film that did really well and had a great critical reception, great fan reception, uh, that has a sequel, is going to make money. Uh, you know, you've, you know, it doesn't really matter how bad it is. Um, you know, we've got a couple movies coming up on the list that are very similar in vain to how The Dark Knight Rises was uh, put out, and uh, that's uh, let's move on. Let's get to those movies. Let's look at them. Let's talk about it. So it's number 19, The Dark Knight Rises. Number 18, uh, breaking the 1.1 1 1 .1 billion mark is a 2014 film called Transformers Age of Extinction. It's a shame that this movie is so high on this list. Um, this is the... Uh, third Transformers film that I've mentioned on the list, um, and it won't be the last, unfortunately. Uh, this film is number four in this franchise, with uh, Transformers uh, The Last Night having, becoming, having come out this year, and currently not in the top 100, but you never know. Still plenty of time. Uh, Age of Extinction made $245 million domestically, 22%. Uh, as against 858 million dollars 
overseas. And it's gotten to the point where why they why bother releasing these movies stateside? You know, why even pretend that there's this is the audience they're playing for? None of us are paying to see this movie. We're not interested in it. Uh, it's not the kind of film that does it doesn't make waves. It doesn't. It's it's the worst thing about Hollywood. And then they made a sequel, and finally, finally, we have a Transformers movie uh, that's not you know making gangbusters at the box office. Um, you know, the last night is doing fairly well overseas, but. Even overseas, it is still a much slower rollout than we've seen in the past. So, Age of Extinction replaced Shia LaBeouf with Mark Wahlberg and introduced Dinobots, which was kind of misleading. They're in the movie for like 30 seconds, and Mark Wahlberg is fine, but not really anything better than Shia LaBeouf, in my opinion. So, it's just... Like, at least The Dark Knight Rises, which, you know, despite whatever popular opinion might of that film might be now, at least it at one point had prestige surrounding it. Age of Extinction has never had that, never will. Uh, it is just pure action, beat-em-up, gear-grinding-against-gear type of things. And that's not fun, it's not enjoyable, no one wanted to see it. Except people who live outside of the United States, apparently. Um, if you are a person from outside the United States and you have a reason as to why these movies are making so much money over there, please tell me. Like, is Transformers really that big overseas in Europe, in Japan, in China? It can't be, can it? Like, I would feel. I feel like the greatest audience for Transformers would be stateside, but you know, I guess I could be wrong. I guess I could be wrong. But. Number 17 is very much a prestige film. Uh, it is a 2012 release that made $1.1 billion, about $4 million more than Age of Extinction. Released by Sony, uh, in fact, the highest grossing film released by Sony on this list, and that is uh, Skyfall. Skyfall, the third film of the Daniel Craig Bond era is beautiful. It is a beautiful looking film. Uh, it is a film that I kind of balked at a lot of uh, critics who claimed it was you know the best Bond film ever uh, or, or something to that effect. You know, I still personally prefer, uh, Casino Royale, just a little bit, but not not terribly much. You know, I think they're both incredibly good movies. And uh, to be fair, you know, I have not seen Casino Royale in quite some time now. But I do remember Skyfall being, you know, the cinematography and uh, the the just the the shot composition of that film is breathtaking. It is very well written, beautifully acted, and manages to mix it, the the action and the panache and the James Bondness that movie that these that the Craig Bond films uh, have with the sort of debonair suave dramatic 
languishing moments uh, that you generally aren't familiar with in, in Bond films, to this extent anyway. You know, very artistic looking shots, very artistic looking scenes, you know, interesting camera angles, uh, good camera work and positioning and lighting and all that stuff, you know, it's, it's very present, it's very on display in Skyfall. And so this movie, um, very similar to Age of Extinction, as a matter of fact, made uh, 27.5% of its bud, um, uh, box office gross stateside, little, just over $300 million, and 72.5% outside of the United States, just over $800 million. Which is, you know, kind of, kind of more understandable. You know, Bond is not just an American figure. He's actually a British figure. And, and so, you know, he is a much more iconic character in Europe than he is in the United States. And I think he's a character that really transcends um, his, his own birthright, his own country of origin. He manages to become something more than... British or, or Scottish or, or whatever particular brogue he is, is, is being used by the actor portraying him at that time. And so I love Skyfall. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I give it an 85 uh, when, upon seeing it uh, when it came out. And it's just the more good films that are at the top of the list, the, the better, the more <laughs> the happier I am. Uh, that's number 17, Skyfall. Number 16 is the final installment of a trilogy that we have uh, already talked about twice on this list. Um, the previous entries come in at numbers 42 and 52, um, respectively. Neither of them quite making a billion dollars. This one, however, made $1,119,900,000. And that is The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Um, this is another film, just like The Dark Knight Rises, where expectations were incredibly high. Except the exp expectations for this film were a little bit different than they were for Rises. Uh, now, where Rises was coming off what many believe to be the high point of its series with The Dark Knight... And, and and had the sort of weight of the entire comic book franchise on their shoulders to sort of deliver a film that could rival its predecessor. Uh, the weight of, of the Lord of the Ring on the Lord of the Rings shoulders was different in that most of us just wanted Peter Jackson to be able to finish off this trilogy competently and satisfactorily, satisfactorily, satisfactorily. I don't know. Uh, and uh, he, the, the Fellowship and Two Towers were both so beloved and so vastly enjoyed that, you know, anything short of greatness would be an incredible letdown uh, for The Return of the King. And so when this movie came out and made boatloads of money, was critically revered, uh, was then nominated for and won 11 Oscars, which ties the all-time record for wins. Um, that is just un 
That is just remarkable. It won picture, director, adapted screenplay, score, song, uh, sound mixing, production, or or I guess uh, previously called art direction. I don't know if it's changed since, uh, at, that, at that time or not. Makeup, costumes, film editing, and visual effects. Uh, so, you know, this was a film with the weight of the world on its shoulders and that proved that this series is as strong as it has ever been. Uh, the Lord of the Rings Return of the King grossed $377 million domestically, $742 million uh, uh, out internationally, uh, with a 33 to 66% split, roughly 1 to 2, which is decent uh, of a split. Um, you know, these are based on a f book franchise that is loved all over the place. It's shot and set uh, in, in New Orleans, or not, not New Orleans, wow, New Zealand, um, which is particularly uh, important to um, a lot of people in Asia and Australia. They, you know, flock to this movie. And it's another, it's a film that has been uh, uh, re-released in various formats and as parts of various uh, promotions um, indicated by Box Office Mojo. I, this is the only Lord of the Rings film that I saw in theaters. Uh, it is the longest of the films. It has like seven endings and it is every bit enjoyable as the finale of a trilogy should be. It, you know, the, the care and, uh, not tepidness, but, but, um, uh, the, the delicacy, delicacy that with, with which Peter Jackson, uh, used his scalpel on these films and on the novels that they are based on is pitch perfect you know i don't think that these are perfect films in and of themselves but i think that the adaptation of them is as great and as enjoyable and as as of higher quality as any adaptation could be and for me uh you know i the way i've rated these movies is i've kind of stacked them one on top of each other i think they've each progressively gotten better i think that based on the 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 support and foundation that was laid by the films that came before them so based on fellowship for the two towers and based on fellowship and two towers for the return of the king they have bolstered their their sequels up to heights that the originals just themselves could not quite get to I've heard a lot of people claim that Fellowship is a better film than Return of the King. Standalone, I'd probably agree with that assessment, but when you take a look at the films in their in the context that they're presented in, I do think Return of the King is more satisfying, more enjoyable, and, and a better watch overall. So, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, number 16. Number 15. The last of this franchise that I cannot, f that I've finally, finally talked to death. I, I really don't want to get too deep into this movie. This is a 2017 release uh, that made $1,123,000,000 uh, 
Transformers Dark of the Moon. Um, Dark of the Moon is the third film in the Transformers franchise out of five. It is the highest grossing film in the Transformers franchise, eclipsing Age of Extinction by about $20 million. It made over $100 million more stateside than Age of Extinction, just uh, just above $350, $350 million, and it made just above $770 million were overseas, uh, about $85 million less than Age of Extinction. It's for about a 31-69 split, which is a better split than Age of Extinction, depending on what you're talking about and what you mean, but ultimately um you know it was an incredible incredible critical disaster um a fan disappointment it was and i think it's almost without the with the exception of shia labeouf and mark Wahlberg, kind of and mark Wahlberg taking the reins from shia labeouf as the main character i think you could play five minutes of either movie and not be able to determine which one was which like it just they just all run together they're all that nonsensical that preposterous that insane and stupid in my opinion in my opinion you know clearly clearly there's a market for these films clearly people are going out to see them clearly people like them which is fine you know i don't care i like plenty of movies that i know a lot of people other people hate and I, you know, so no judgment on the people who like these movies. My judgment is purely based on the movie, and I think the movie is crap. I think it's awful. I think it's shitty. I think Michael Bay needs to get out of this franchise and needs to, and and in some cases, the franchise needs to like figure itself out and rework itself because it is not working at, on a film level anymore. Uh, and you can point to the box office take to contradict that statement, but as a film, um, and as a uh, as a as a sequence of pictures set to audio, it it is an utterly dismal failure. Um, so Transformers: Dark the Moon, 2011, number 15. Great. I'm I'm so glad to to finally move on from that franchise. Um, I did see the last night, and it is the worst film of the franchise. And I don't know how they can keep topping themselves, but they do, they do. Number fourteen, uh, we go back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the, I believe, uh, third highest film. In, in that universe? No, fourth. I'm sorry, the fourth highest grossing film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we still have three more after this. Uh, this film grossed $1,153,000,000. And that whew, is <clears throat> Captain America Civil War. Uh, Captain America Civil War is the third film in the Captain America trilogy, uh, noticing a pattern there, and capped off Cap's uh, arc in spectacular fashion. Um, when I watched it for the first time in theaters, 
I marveled at just how enjoyable and fun the movie was. It had an interesting villain. It had one of the best set pieces and action sequences ever put to film. And it was only when I rewatched the film later, uh, later last year, that I really began to notice that there were a lot of decisions and writing choices that I was very much not in, not okay with. And you know, this isn't about this isn't about me reviewing Captain America: Civil War, but <clears throat> I will say that I I do think that the film struggles in a lot of key areas that most Marvel films struggle in, and most notably stakes. Uh, you know, the there are stakes when we get to the final sequence, the fine like the third act, the final action set piece. <clears throat> but the problem is the biggest and greatest set piece is in the middle of the movie where there really are no stakes uh, because everyone is pulling their punches. No one is fighting all out and the 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 strongest characters are sidelined and relegated to bit players, honestly. And that is terribly frustrating. I wish the film had spent more time uh, working on the narrative uh, for just how um, just, I don't know, just how much how important this clash between Captain America and Iron Man actually is. And for them to end up at the, being friends by the end of the movie I mean, is, is sort of too comic booky. Like, we're not in comic books when we're going to the movies. I get that these are characters based on comics. I get that these stories are based on comic book storylines. But these are movies, not comic books. And they... And there are times where they need to be presented as such. And I think Civil War does a lot of things incredibly well. It's a, a very, very good movie. But it falls short in a couple of key elements that I think hold it back from being truly one of the best movies ever and the best Marvel movie and comic book movie ever. So Civil War uh, ha made $400 million domestically, seven fifty dollars overseas for about a 35-65 split, a uh, pretty decent split. Uh, and and so it's 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 really good. Like my negative criticisms aside, it is a very good movie and you know, I I there isn't uh, there isn't a Marvel film I don't like. It's just not a top-tier film in my opinion. But that's Captain America, Civil War, number 14. Number 13 is yet another third film in a franchise. Uh, this is uh, a universal film, not their highest grossing film, however. Uh, this film grossed 1 million, or sorry, 1 billion, 159 million, 400,000 uh, dollars. It is a 2015 film called Minions. Uh, yeah, the animated film Minions, which is the second highest grossing animated film of all time, made $336 million stateside and $823 million 
overseas. Uh, that's a 29-71 split. And I've seen Minions. Like I said, I've seen all of these movies. And uh, it's really, really frustrating to see something like that this high up on the list. I think every other film above ahead of this is a better movie. And all but one of the films ahead of Minions, I think, are actually good movies. Uh, and it's it's really really irritating to see a movie like Minions be this high grossing of a film it's a, it's awful it makes no sense it's racist and it's just it just it just I don't know it's just too much of an already oversaturated thing and I haven't yet seen Despicable Me 3 so I'm not sure if they they overexpose the minions in in Despicable Me Three as well. I hope they don't, but they might. And uh, it's just it's really frustrating. Like the minions were actually very funny in the first Despicable Me. They peaked and and kind of maxed out their welcome in two in the sequel. And so we were already, as far as I was concerned, I was already done with them at the end of Despicable Me Two. And so to get an entire movie based on them is awful. You know, like, it's not Shaun the Sheep. You know, Minions could have been Shaun the Sheep if Minions weren't irritating and incessantly chattering all the time. Shaun the Sheep is is a fantastic movie with no dialogue that makes great use of the fact that fact. Whereas Minions isn't that thing. And, uh... Yeah, it just isn't that thing. Minions is is silly. It it does not play. It plays to the lowest common denominator, and it it it's just not an enjoyable movie. And they are not enjoyable things anymore. So, yeah, it's 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 frustrating. It is really frustrating. But that's Minions at number thirteen. Number thirteen on the most uh, on the highest grossing films of all time. Two to go, guys. Number two, number twelve is a Buena Vista film. Uh, this is another Marvel film, uh, the third highest-grossing Marvel film of all time, and this is a 2013 film called Iron Man Three. Iron Man Three grossed one billion two hundred and fourteen million eight hundred thousand dollars, four hundred and nine million dollars domestically, eight hundred and five million dollars overseas for about a 33-66 split and Iron Man 3 uh, you know made the most money out of all the Iron Man films um, and is actually the only Iron Man film in the top 100 as it turns out which is actually really odd I think and I, I think it's the I think it's the I think it's better than two, but not as good as one. I think one is, is the best Marvel film still. And so for three, you know, I actually really enjoyed three. I went and saw it opening weekend, and I had a great, I had a lot of fun watching it. But it didn't, it's not like an event movie. Like, no one's looking at Iron Man 3 and thinking, 
everyone need to needed to have seen that. You know, a lot of the movies ahead of this, not all of them, but a good number of the movies that make the top ten are legitimate event movies, um, movies that everyone has seen, movies that everyone likes, and there are a lot of people that look at Iron Man three unfavorably. But you know, at that point in in the MCU. It was expected that everybody went and saw everything at that point. You know, we were we had already had the Avengers, um, and this was the next year. And so, if you watch the Avengers, you almost everybody who watched the Avengers watched this, and that's just kind of how the Marvel Cinematic Universe works now. And that's why so many of their films make the top 100 of all time. So, I don't know. I mean, again, like Iron Man 3, not my favorite movie, but I like it. I think it's good, uh, not great, not even, uh, you know, not even like really good, just good. Uh, and, and I think I liked the approach it took to Tony Stark and, and Iron Man as a character. Uh, I know that Downey Jr. really wanted to be out of the suit as much as possible in that movie and so he does spend a great portion of that movie not in the iron man suit and i liked the gwyneth paltrow in that movie i think that they tried to take her character in another direction and it may or may not have succeeded uh probably more on the not succeeded side of things but still it, it like that dynamic is something that should be explored and they need to stop putting the world in danger to to force that relationship to come together i guess is how i want to phrase that so i don't know man iron man 3 guy pierce was an okay villain i did i personally liked what they did with uh the mandarin but i, I understand why a lot of comic book readers were unhappy with the way he was portrayed but personally I, I was fine with it Guy Pierce is okay not great he's okay number 12 Iron Man 3 and finally in today's episode a 2017 film ranked 11th all time right now uh, this movie is I believe out of theaters for the most part and you know is now out on Blu-ray, DVD, etc., etc., etc. If it isn't, it'll be out. I think I've heard that it was coming. It's either out now or it's out in the next week or so. Uh, I don't know if the same is true overseas. It might have a couple more dollars trickling in from uh, international markets. But with $1,238,700,000, number 11 is Universal's The Fate of the Furious. The Fate of the Furious is also not the highest grossing Fast and Furious movie. It is number two, and it has grossed a boatload of money. Uh, it has grossed $225 million domestically, $1 billion overseas. And it is the lowest grossing film uh, of all time lowest domestically grossing film that has reached a billion overseas uh, which is pretty staggering the split is 18 percent to 82 percent 
So domestic audiences were not fans for very much, very much for the fate of Furious. Uh, it had a terrible multiplier off of its opening weekend. I think it made somewhere in the '60s range, if that. It, it, it did open on sort of an extended um, play. Uh, oh, okay, it hit 98 million opening weekend, but which is which is very very high, which is insane. It's crazy. I don't get it. Uh, and then it plunged uh, the ne- the following week to 38 million, 19, 8, 5, 3, 1, etc. Um, and so last weekend it made $110,000. So it probably has a little bit of wiggle room left to go, but not very much. And so the eighth film in the Fate of the Furious, in the Fast and the Furious franchise, which is also not... Uh, there's actually a film above this that is the eighth in its franchise. Uh, so it's not the highest grossing eighth film either. Uh, but Fate of the Furious, I saw it. It was enjoyable and fun for what it was. It is not my favorite Fate, Fast and the Furious movie. I think, uh, I think Fast... I think Fast 6, Fast and Furious... The Fast and the Furious is my favorite one. Gosh, I can't keep the title straight. I think. I'm just guessing. I think it is. And I, you know, I I think as well that I I don't want more movies of this franchise. I think we've exhausted it. And clearly, by the box office returns of this movie, we haven't. Like, clearly, everybody wants more of this. We want them to go to space. We want them to do this, that, and the other thing. Which is fine, and like that's great and all, but I just cannot. I just I I I'm exhausted. I don't want more of these movies. I don't know what they can do now, that they haven't done already. That won't be too ridiculous for words. It's just there's just not enough. There's just not enough. I I don't know like. They need to inject the movies with new characters or something that's that's exciting. You know, Charlie's Theron was kind of a dud, unfortunately, in my opinion, in the in the franchise. I think you know if they they just they, they made her a hacker. I don't want to see a hacker. It's the fate of the furious, man. I they want we want people who actually drive the cars, not sit behind a computer. It's. I think they misread that movie, and I, I, I uh, clearly it didn't really matter, but definitely misread that movie. So, The Fate of the Furious uh, is Universal's third highest grossing film of all time, and is, num- there, uh, is number 11 all time, still in theaters, in a couple of markets left over uh, as the last few dollars trickle in. Uh, I don't think it's going to be enough to catch the tenth-placed film, uh, which has grossed, which is about a difference of twenty-three million dollars. Uh, that's a little bit too much to uh, overtake. Uh, speaking and and the tenth-placed film is also trickling out of theaters as well. It made forty-nine thousand dollars last week domestically. So, it is uh, a slow burn climbing that ladder so that is the 
that is films numbers 20 through 11 for the box office mojo top 100 grossing films of all time Thank you so much for joining me and listening to this episode. Next time, we will finally... Well, I say next time, but it probably won't be the episode that I put out after this one. But the next Box Office Mojo Lit uh, top, top 100 installment will finally, finally crest over the top film of all time worldwide. Most of these films are ones that you can probably name already, but... Uh, the order is probably not uh, as as obvious to everyone as it could be. Um, most of these films are separated by tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars uh, between one spot or another, with the small exception of the fifth and sixth highest rated, uh, highest grossing films of all time, which are separated by only two million dollars, uh, which is comparatively very tiny. And that's it. That's it. That's it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, or answers, you can direct those to circleoffilm at gmail.com. Um, if you want to learn more about the podcast, about me, about the spreadsheet, about the Circle of Film Awards, which uh, are being updated daily, or about these scavenger hunt superlatives, you can head over to circleoffilm.com for all of that information and more. And finally, as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.